It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position by position analysis of the upcoming NFL draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the draft dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What's up, Bengals fans? Welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, NFL owners meetings continued in Arizona. And we're going to actually take some time today to redraft the 2014 draft class in our first of several redrafts. But first, let's talk about the news. Zach Taylor had breakfast with some reporters and towed the company line. Apparently, Andy Dalton is a quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals for the next seven years. Bobby Hart's a right tackle for this year, which... Puts at odds the fact that Andy Dalton is supposed to survive at quarterback for seven years. <laughs> and the Bengals are monitoring the waiver wire. And anything's open in the draft. Those are the highlights. Also, Did I miss anything? Yeah, that Mike Brown wants Mike to Brown, win yes. as much as anyone. Which Mike Brown wants have, to win. Yeah, you kind of skimmed over that with he's towing the company line. Because 
his interviews have been terrible so far, haven't they? He said the same thing a lot of times, and he's he's been very coach speak, like a hundred percent, like. That first press conference we talked about, it was like, yeah, it's a little coach speaky, but he's at least, you know, communicating with the media and he's engaging and he's, you know, not blowing off questions, but it's been the same, like, it's literally been like sometimes verbatim the same stuff the in some Dalton of these stuff, interviews, right? like, especially I, you know, the Andy Dalton stuff. I've watched him for a long time. I have the utmost respect. He's, you know, won in this league. Yeah. I think he'll be good in this offense. I mean, it's the exact same line spit out every time i just want to know more i want to know more of what's in his brain and we're not getting that at all yeah we're really not getting the level of insight from taylor that i thought you know i kind of thought we might get after that first press conference it's been like we've said a lot of a lot of repetition also in bengal's news today according to manish meta who writes for the new york daily news the Bengals are the only team in the NFL that voted against the proposed rules to make defensive and pass, offensive pass interference reviewable. And so I guess that means that this is going to be a reviewable thing in the future. Joe, I I mean, we're slowing the game down some more. On the other yeah. hand, maybe the Saints get that call right in the NFC Championship game. So double-edged sword. That's the best uh, point, I guess, is to make sure, and it's the goal, right, to make sure you get the place on the field correct. And, But I do believe I remember seeing debate on whether or not non-calls would even be subject to be reviewed. I think originally the proposal was just calls on the field, so I don't know if that Saints one would have counted or not. Uh, maybe they're, they're adjusting it. We still have to see. I think this is not... Um, finalized, right? That we still have to see how this goes. But um, I wouldn't have. I, I'm with them, even though they're the only team that voted against it. I don't think it should be reviewable. I think when that happens, that is a very, very, very ticky tack type call in most cases. Anyways, in my opinion, if anything, they should change with DPI or OPI is uh, not the 15 yards. I think it should maybe be kind of how face mask was back in the day, where it used to be a five or 15 yard penalty. If it was a personal foul, now I want to make 15. it more subjective. I do. And only because I think if it's blatant, go ahead and give him a spot foul. Cause I think spot fouls, that, that is the one foul in sports and in, in football. I mean, that is the most detrimental to the defense if it happens. Uh, and for me, I think sometimes it, can, it gets called, and I'm like, man, that guy barely touched him. Or it was just they're both going for the ball or incidental. Now I do feel like the refs have gotten better with it. But there should be maybe a 10-yard uh, or 15-yard variety, and I'd be okay with that uh, rather than allowing teams to go back and look and say, look, he was tugging on him. Yes, you're going to see that every time in review. There's always going to be contact. And honestly, you can look at most plays, especially plays downfield, and say, there was pass interference on that play. It just depends on what your level of comfort is with that pass interference or whether or not you think it was a foul or not. Yeah, it's just going to be really questionable to see how it becomes implemented, right? Because if they let you get like, oh, yeah, there was a tug on the jersey, we better call pass interference, and that's going to be a real problem. I think that they should probably, speaking of rule changes, you, I think, started to talk about this. I think they need to increase the illegal contact to, to like seven yards or eight yards. And not automatic first down, right? Well, sorry. So I think the legal bump needs to be from five yards ah. to seven or eight yards. And yeah, I think I think illegal contact. I, I don't. I don't know. It's it's. 
away from the play, automatic first downs on illegal contact or defensive holding is just so brutal. And like offensive holding, you get to keep your down. What if you made offensive holding a five-yard penalty loss? I am 100%. No, I don't want to loss it down. I think it should just be a five-yard penalty. Holding should be a five. No. Yeah, holding should be a five-yard penalty, and defensive holding should not be uh, uh, automatic first down, and that should be the trade-off. I don't know if I agree. Regardless, uh, the Bengals— yards, should holding kill your whole drive? One holding? Sometimes. And it doesn't because you keep your down, right? So it doesn't necessarily kill a drive. We're just Bengals fans, and we watched a team right. that couldn't operate behind the chains <laughs> last year. You put the Bengals in third and 14, it's over. Yeah. Uh, other news, Ian Rappaport says NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell says that he will apply the personal conduct policy to Robert Kraft's indiscretions in Florida once all the facts have come to the surface. So he, I think, is probably... I don't know. I, I feel like he will have to punish Robert Kraft. It'll be really interesting to see what the outcome is there because there's this perception that the league is generally pretty chummy with the Patriots, although Robert Kraft and Robert Goodell are no longer friends. One other rule from the owners' meetings, uh, and I don't know if you saw the conversation between George Iloka and Joe Mixon on Twitter. I thought it was interesting. Was oh, the, yeah. uh, it, They further enhance player safety rules and the guidelines, and, and it's no crackback blocks, basically. Ever. For... Yeah, ever. And in the scenario they showed, the video they showed on Twitter was, let's say a running back catches the ball in the flat, turns upfield, the receiver comes back and hits the safety. So if you if the offensive player is going back towards his line of scrimmage and hits anyone in the neck, shoulder, or chest, uh, or I think it was just neck, shoulder, head it, area. It used to be. That's what it used to be. Now it's if you initiate the contact with your head, shoulder, or elbow, or forearm. Yes, that's right. That's the and penalty. You just so like if if you were to make that block, you either need to just like I don't know, maybe spin and just, like th- there's a video of of a guy making a block going back to the line of scrimmage and he has his hands up literally and he's just like sidestepping to get like a way. pick play in basketball, yeah. right? Well, right. a little di- a moving pick. Sure, yeah, and then that's what I saw between Mixon and, and Iloka, and Iloka was for it obviously because there's been so many rules against right. the defense and in, in, in fairness of safety for the offense. He says, you know, this is fair, and it, you watch the go on YouTube and watch best blocks or biggest blocks, and I watched that, and it was kind of sickening. There was a lot of most vicious of them are guys getting hurt. Yeah, like really bad ones. Think of think of uh, Keith Rivers, right, and Heinz Ward. That's the play we're talking about, and. Uh, Obviously, they they made that a penalty then, but now it's it, they, it's completely expanded on completely illegal at this point. My point on that is, and I've been saying this a while for defenders hitting the receivers too, is to use your hands and arms yep. and hands, not arms. Well, I, I'm going to get to why I say arms. I don't mean hit them with your forearm, give them that forearm shiver. I mean hands into your chest, extend elbows, lock arms, and grab with your hands too if you can and, and take them down that way and you can you if you ever watch flag football and it, it's kind of a joke to say this because the league people will say the league is turning into flag football with these rules but if you ever watch it and watch how they block uh, there might be some merit to that for these teams to watch it and i i hate the first instinct of the of the players and probably the coaches too i assume but you see the players on twitter saying what are they doing we can't even play football no that's not the answer the answer is how do we figure it out and play within the rules because I bet the Patriots are going to figure it out. But in my opinion, I think you can lay vicious blocks and vicious hits without contacting the neck and head area by using your hands and really hard shoving into the chest of that of that player or defender or the receiver that's catching the ball. And I say this like it's easy, but obviously these are big, strong, fast guys. 
Yeah, I'm thinking about how this practically works, right? Because if you're running full speed, even if I'm running full speed, I'm not that fast. I used to be fast, but I'm not that fast. And if I'm running full speed at, a, at another moving target and I'm trying to shove instead of getting a forearm into them or, or, or even wrap, because you can't wrap up, right? You can't just tackle a guy. Right. Which right. would be holding. It'd be holding, but it would be a safe way to block, but you can't do it. So you have to literally shove while you're, you know, oftentimes running full speed and, and, yeah. and your target's running full speed. I worry about, you but know. But they can hit doing that. They can lower their eyes and their vision on the, on the target and still make contact. They do it all the time. So you're telling me they can't keep their head up and still make contact with their hands, the most coordinated part of your body? I'm not saying they can't. I, I'm a little bit worried about wrist injuries. I think we're going to have a wrist injury from an offensive player trying to make a full sure. speed block with his hands extended. And, and then we'll see maybe the pendulum swing on that. And, and and honestly, I think what it's probably going to be is just going to be body blocking instead is, is probably the way it's going to get coached. You know what happens when bodies connect chest to chest, stomach to stomach? Your heads, heads also connect. Yeah. yeah. And that's the problem. And I'm trying to take the head out of it because then you're going to get flagged. We yeah. see this even in uh, defenders hitting receivers and tight ends, right? They didn't go for the head. They go shoulder to shoulder. And you see fans all the time. It was a shoulder to shoulder hit. Okay. But the shoulder pads are getting extremely small in the league, and they got these big helmets on. What part do you think is going to connect after their shoulders yeah. hit? Their heads connect, yeah. and it's a penalty. So you can't attack that high anymore, and you have to give yourself a safe distance. And that's why I always say, if you had your hands in there, in the same way offensive linemen lock their hands into the chest of a defensive end that may be the most height, weight, speed, athletic defender on the field – they still get their hands into their chest and lock in and, and can control them and oftentimes pancake them. I think you could still do that uh, in other other parts of the field. I mean, these are these are some of the best athletes in the world. So you certainly hope so for the continued integrity of the game. The other thing that I wanted to say about this is often those crackback blocks had no impact on the play, which I think yeah. is a big reason that the NFL is banning them because a lot of the times the guys that are getting blown up on those plays are it's not in a position to make a tackle. They're they're getting run by. And that's and what you should question every time, right? Was it necessary? If it wasn't, then it was unnecessary roughness. Yeah. And and if you look at some of the examples that the that I think NFL released, a lot of those examples are they're they're blocks that didn't have any impact on the play yep. or maybe, you know, just one I thought was when the quarterback was getting chased down from behind from a defensive end that was obviously more athletic and right, catching behind him. the line of scrimmage. Exactly, and I thought, okay, that's that's actually that guy probably would have made a tackle maybe two yards shorter than the than the quarterback got. But all the other eight plays or so, I thought exactly what you're thinking. No, no bearing on the play whatsoever. Yeah, and and sometimes you even see the offensive guy like. Yeah, there's a defensive back in front of me I can block, but ooh, I'll turn my head and look at the play, and ooh, there's somebody chasing him. I can go blow that guy up. And then I mean, the it is guy fun that, to do that, though. I, yeah, okay, but like, <laughs> I, I'm not going to argue that. But then you see the guy that the, the receiver downfield neglected the block. I know, the, the and, he safety, makes and he makes the tackle right away. <laughs> yeah. So it's like That's the yeah, part I, of it, right? Yeah. It's like if we're a little bit smarter and didn't love to go for the kill shot because it's in our – caveman dna sometimes but if it wasn't you may end up with a longer play if you go block the right guy so that's i think all the news today that is i think i think it's all the news today we don't have any details about guarantees on dark west and our the team still hasn't officially announced carry when is a signing i had a dream that he flaked on the bengals uh we'll see if that comes to fruition or not i think it's a little weird they haven't announced the deal yet anyway we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and today we're going to begin a series of redraft episodes. 
It may not be every day, but today we're going to redraft the 2014 NFL draft. And, and then in our concurrent, or sorry, subsequent uh, draft redraft episodes, we're going to be redrafting as if our previous redrafts had happened. So stick around and we'll look at what could have gone better for the Bengals in 2014. I'm so excited for this. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. We are redrafting the 2014 draft. And I think while 2015 gets the attention for really derailing the entire uh, run that they had from 11 to 15, I think... 2014 definitely kicked it off. And while they got early production from a lot of guys, and Jeremy Hill and and uh, Russell Bodine was, was starting for the first four years, it definitely now, it's. I think we brought it up, and, and Jake and I were talking off air on, after Denard resigned, we said, you know, look at that draft. That's all they have to show for it. And Darquez Denard is now on a one-year $5 million deal, which is definitely not ideal for your former first-round pick. Uh, it is in terms of cap savings, but definitely not where you expected his career to be at this point. So we figured we'd start with 2014, go over it. We have two different ways we can go over it, right? We can use hindsight and say, this is the best possible draft they could have ended up with, with where they picked, with who was on the board. And that's a that's a fun exercise because we always do that no matter what. We always like to use the benefit of hindsight. And uh, we have that laid out. But we also have, we went back and used my draft board from 2014. And as you know, if you followed me for a long time, I grade prospects during the draft process. And it allows me to have an opinion and say, I want this guy to be, you know, go to the Bengals or this guy in the fifth round is really still a first round graded player. And sometimes I'm wrong, sometimes I'm not. But point being is we're going to use that. And we're going to say, who is the best player on the board and without doubling up on positions? I will say that there, if like we drafted a corner in the fourth round, I'm not going to draft a corner for the rest of the draft. But if we draft one in the second, I would consider one with the final two picks. So uh, only skipping a couple of back-to-back positions. So we don't end up with five quarterbacks or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I took uh, the best player available at the top of the board with each one of those picks. Right. And so before we get into how the redrafts might have gone, let's quickly just review where the Bengals were in 2014, what the depth chart kind of looked like and and why they made the picks that they did. So everyone had the Bengals and Darquez Denard linked going into the 2014 draft, I think. And and for yep. us, I remember at the time we were like, eh, it's not really something we'd be so stoked about, but it was frequently mocked, and it turned out to be the case. Darquez Denard came onto a roster that already had Leon Hall, Drake Kirkpatrick, Adam Jones, and Terrence Newman. Newman was nearing the end of his time with the Bengals. Adam Jones had a couple of years left. Leon Hall was also nearing the end of his career with the Bengals. I think he might have had a Achilles couple of Achilles injuries. Yeah. And, and Drake Kirkpatrick was your former first-round pick who hadn't really been on the field all that much yet. Yep. So everyone had Darquez Denard linked with the Bengals 
Uh, and I believe one. I had him as the fifth best corner in that draft. I'm using some memory here, but I think he was the fifth best for me. And I remember specifically that the next corner picked uh, Jason Verrett. The very next pick, Jason yeah. Verrett went to the the then San Diego Chargers, and yep. everyone I think on in, in Joe's circle on draft Twitter would have preferred Jason Verrett at that point. And he's had injuries, but even now, you know, he's in contention for that pick in the redraft. So Joe, what did he just get paid? Do you remember from the 49ers, I believe? No, I don't. But I bet it's comparable to what Denard got. And that's saying something considering Verrett really played maybe 150 snaps over the last three years. But when he played those first two years, he was dynamite and exactly what I expected him to be. And that's why I liked him that much. Injuries are going to happen. And we'll see that as we go through this. I'm just pulling up his contract details now. He got... A one-year, three-point-six million-dollar deal from San Francisco. Interesting. So it's it's fairly similar for the one-year, five million for Dark West Denard. Um, yes and no. It's cheaper, obviously, but but not sure. too far off. Uh, right. In the second round, the Bengals, of course, picked Jeremy Hill. Ben Jarvis Green Ellis was a Bengal starting running back at the time. They had drafted Giovanni Bernard in the second round the previous year. They clearly did not, and to this day, do not see Giovanni Bernard as an RB one. And Ben Jarvis Green Ellis did need replacement. The one Hill mistake was... there too is they also drafted Rex Burkhead last that previous year. Geo right. and Rex were the same draft. And 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 Rex never and we've talked about this, never got a shot in Cincinnati to be never. That's why he had no interest in coming back. Yeah. Jeremy Hill was the first running back taken, I believe, in the twenty fourteen draft, ahead of Carlos Hyde, who I think also went next. He was not. Bishop very... Sankey was the first out of oh, Washington right. to the Titans. Just yep. a few picks ahead of them. My mistake. In the third round, the Bengals drafted Will Clark, whose closest comparable on mock draftables was Carlos Dunlap. He is yeah. a giant with kind of middling athleticism. Dunlap was a slightly better athlete. He joined an edge rusher group that included Dunlap, Wallace Gilberry, Marcus Hart, Robert Marcus Hunt, and Robert Gathers. Marcus Hunt, of course, had never really gotten off the ground in Cincinnati. Robert Gathers nearing the end of his career. Wallace Gilberry, a role player, but and, and was the starter that year, but not somebody you really wanted to rely on as a starter. And Carlos Dunlap is is the the rock of that unit. In the yeah, fourth- and I was not a big fan of Will Clark. Uh, as you know, I had him as a day three prospect uh, and, you know, even further down than round three. Yeah. Uh, and... I had him like that because he was not productive enough. And even with his height, weight, speed, he measured well. And he was, I think he won the award for their workout warrior or whatever that was, maybe even twice in his four years at West Virginia. Mm. And it tells you that there was no upside left in Will Clark. He wasn't unnaturally skilled. And I mean that in the, in the negative way. He was not a natural football player uh, in a lot of ways. And I was not on board with that at all. And he wasn't like a great athlete either. He had okay tests in a couple areas, but his agility and and flexibility testing scores weren't very strong. Yeah, weight adjusted wise, though, he was definitely over the threshold for round three. Uh, it was one of those picks that you know that was back when they liked their giant defensive ends, right? Michael Johnson, yeah. Carlos Dunlap, Marcus Hunt, all giants. Yep. In the fourth round, of course, they traded up for Russell Bodie, and they needed a center. They drafted Russell Bodie and handed him a job for four years. And honestly, Russell Bodie is a punching bag for Bengals fans for a fourth round pick. Right. You're not going to do much better unless you, you know, you find the Matt parodies a couple rounds later. He's the problem 
with Bodine isn't Bodine. It's that they traded up, named him the starter, and never gave him any competition. Mm-hmm. They came back in the fifth round and picked a backup quarterback, A.J. McCarron. He was a, quote, winner in college at Alabama. Probably okay value in the fifth round, I think. Uh, you know, my, I'm just thinking of what my reaction was when they drafted him. And I remember it because this tweet kind of got some traction. I wrote, oh, my God, they drafted McCarron. Bengals, please extend Andy Dalton right now. That was my response. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't a pick that excited most of us. It did excite some Bengals fans who, you know, oh, yeah. see For A.J. McCarron as a quarterback at Alabama. He must be. But Alabama hadn't had good quarterbacks until now to a, to a – I can't say his last name yet. Maybe next year. I haven't um, even tried. The other thing about McCarron is they liked his ability to come in and, and run a system. And as we've seen with Ryan Fitzpatrick, John Kitna, uh, A.J. McCarron, who am I forgetting? Bruce Gradkowski. Bruce Gradkowski. They bring these quarterbacks in and they get production out of them, and they did with A.J. McCarron. And, you know, I think they also liked McCarron because skill set-wise and where they match up, and while I think he was a lighter version, I think they're very he's very similar to Andy Dalton. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, next up, Marquise Flowers, safety-turned linebacker from Arizona, was the pick in round six. He infamously went to New England in a trade and then slammed the Bengals on social media. This is a guy that actually is fairly comparable to a lot of the linebackers we're talking about in this draft class in terms of yep. size and speed. He, former safety, converted linebacker, ran a 4-5, had a 38-inch vertical, was seen as undersized, was likely seen as a developmental weak linebacker coverage prospect, and the Bengals needed athleticism at linebacker at the time because their linebackers were... Vontez, Perfect, Vinny Ray, Ray Maluga, Emmanuel Lemur. So the pick kind of makes Flowers sense. Flowers was my favorite pick of this entire draft and the only pick I felt good about. No more to that? No, that's it. I I remember getting a tip from Brandon Howard. Shout out to Brandon. He's probably de- definitely not listening. He does uh, Dolphin stuff mostly. But uh, saying the Bengals really liked him and worked him out and really liked him as a late-round target. And I watched him, and I thought, and I looked at his, his tape and his measurables, and I thought, yep, that's a guy with high upside that could definitely turn into something, if not just be a asset on special teams. And he dealt with injuries early in his career, I remember. But... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, looking at the other guy, other picks, I wasn't a fan of any of them, and I thought Dark Nard had very limited upside. So for me, this was my favorite pick. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? And talking about the linebackers that we like this year, he's built very similarly. Flowers didn't go on to have a great career in New England, but he did play some games for them. And, and I don't know. I, I think Bengals fans mostly remember him for trashing them on social media. He, uh, for a sixth rounder, if you consider value, that is a good pick, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not a home run. We'll talk about the home runs in a bit. Uh, In the seventh round, the Bengals pick James Wright, LSU wide receiver, and Lavelle Westbrooks, Georgia Southern defensive back. Uh, James Wright, of course, buried on the LSU death chart behind Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. Thought to be an upside guy. Didn't really get a shot in the NFL outside of a few limited games for the Bengals. Yep. When he did, he graded decently from pro football focus, but of course you never expect. He hurt his rounders. knee real bad, right? Just a contribute a ton. Yeah. I think that ended his career at some point or maybe ended his Bengals career. At least I think he did sign elsewhere afterwards, but was never active. I remember a long catch versus the Buccaneers. Do you remember that? 
Nope. Andy Dalton was sick that game, and he had a really good game. Uh, vaguely, yeah. That in brings Tampa, some context back. Yeah, uh, AJ Green caught a touchdown in the first quarter out of the slot, up the seam. Very play, well placed ball by Andy Dalton. Anyways, of course, Wright was behind AJ Green, Muhammad Sanu, Marvin, Marvin Jones, Jones yep. Brandon Tate, and others Hawkins? on the depth chart at that point. Hawkins was gone. Okay. Uh, uh, who's a white guy? Dane Sansenbacher. Yes, you're right. It was Dane Sansenbacher. So, Joe, that's who the Bengals picked to fill certain needs. You can look at the depth chart and say they maybe needed another tight end. They had Jermaine Gresham and Tyler Eifert. They were good at receiver. They could have used another running back. Running back kind of makes sense there. They, they needed did. a center. Yeah. Um, you could say they should draft. They should start looking at some late to mid round offensive tackles to start getting a succession plan in place for Andre Smith and Andrew Whitworth, which of course they did in 2015. You could say they need an edge rusher. You could say they need athleticism at linebacker. You could say three of their corners are very old. Maybe they need a corner. You could say George Iloka hasn't done anything yet. Maybe they need a safety. Let's go through your picks according to your board. Sure, and this is, like I said, according to my board, so I had these guys graded before the draft. I was very high on Teddy Bridgewater. I had him as the number two prospect in the draft. No, number three, I'm sorry. Uh, Number two was Aaron Donald. Number one was Sammy Watkins. I loved Sammy Watkins as a prospect. But So I was very high on Teddy Bridgewater. I thought he was a franchise quarterback, and to be honest with you, had he not been injured, I think he would have achieved that status. I still... Have a lot of hopes for Bridgewater at one point, maybe getting healthy. Uh, he had a lot of even his his limited time with the Vikings. Anticipation thrower, smart guy, accurate, can move within the pocket at an elite level. Uh, I think uh, honestly, still he was very young coming out, and he should have been the pick. He was available when they picked at twenty four, and Andy Dalton was not extended at this point. I was in favor of taking a quarterback, even though Dalton was obviously what was it was his. Almost five. This is five years ago, I guess. Uh, so, at this point, even though Dalton was five years younger, I was in favor of taking a quarterback. So for me, he had a seventy-eight point forty-five grade. This would be the second highest grade I've ever given to a Bengals prospect uh, that they drafted, and I would have definitely made that pick. And and Bridgewater, the idea there was that he could sit behind Dalton for a year and then take over, and then Dalton's yep. contract is is up pretty soon i think at the time because he was drafted in 11 so 11 12 13 14 he was in his fourth year yep so was that the last year of his rookie deal then it would have been the last year of dalton's rookie year so the idea there was he can develop for a year behind dalton and then take over and this fits in with the mindset that we've talked about on this show extensively now in the last week or so which is draft a qb until you hit the guy that's going to be the elevator of talent let's go to the second round second round now is an interesting guy, probably someone no one, really, I don't expect a lot of listeners to know who he is. Uh, he was graded very highly for me, a 71.22, which is a strong first-round grade, back half first round, but a, a, a solid first-round grade. It's Terrence Brooks. He's a safety out of Florida State. And I ended up 
I think he ended up going in the third round or so to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and I really liked the Ravens draft that year. And I thought, you know, they're killing it with Terrence Brooks. But Brooks was a guy who could play the ball really well, uh, track the ball really well. He made a lot of plays on the ball. And I thought that was something the Bengals desperately needed, not knowing Iloka was going to end up being a quality starter for three and a half years or so. Uh, Brooks, to me, would have stepped in and been the starter. Since then, in the NFL, he's bounced around. He's been on the the Ravens, the Jets, and who was the other one? The Bills, maybe? I'm sorry if I'm forgetting, but he has not played a lot at all. I think the most was 80 snaps in a year. On special teams, about 300 snaps, two out of the four years, uh, 200 snaps a couple years. So he's been a special teamer. He has not played much on defense, played a lot in, in preseason, pro football focused grades have been high even in his limited playtime. so this may be considered a miss in the second round I'm just saying he was the top guy on my board and he just signed with the with the Patriots this offseason uh two-year deal cap hit of 1.4 million then 1.8 million in 2020 I'm interested to see what he can do with a good organization that maybe figures out what he can be he might be a special teamer for them but he might also take a step you've seen the Patriots do this before where they find guys who Maybe they liked in the draft, and then he, they see, they kind of maybe track, oh, yeah, he's not getting used quite right. We have a plan for this guy, and, and yeah. you know, I'm a little surprised they weren't in on Shaq Barrett, actually, given his his eventual price tag and their ability to make a good plan to get the most out of players. And that's the pick they used on Jeremy Hill. So I wasn't high on Hill at all. I had Hill as a more of a third, fourth round kind of prospect. Uh, so for me, uh, they definitely went on a limb on taking Hill. And in this scenario, I would have taken, started off with Teddy Bridgewater and then Terrence Brooks. What uh, what school did Terrence Brooks go to? Florida State. Florida State. So he was a big school guy and the NFL just didn't agree with you. And he's just never really gotten a shot. Yep. So and he went in the third why. round, I believe. So oh, let's did take him he? Okay. the second isn't too crazy. Okay. So third round, let's go. Third round, next highest guy on my board. And this is probably the best value pick, best pick probably of this entire draft, was Telvin Smith. I had a first-round grade on Telvin Smith, a fringe first at 70.25, and also back-to-back Florida State guys. But Telvin Smith has been really good for the Jags, and I think they got him in the fifth round, I want to say. They did, but I was looking at options for my hindsight version of this. Telvin Smith was one of the choices for a fourth-round pick. Okay, yeah. And I... Man, if you could have paired Telvin Smith with Vontaze Perfect in his prime, I think the Bengals would have had some excellent linebackers, especially one that can cover and move in space. It would have changed their defense, I think, for the better uh, during that stretch where they really could have used it. This is the Will Clark pick too, right? Yeah, this is the Will Clark pick. And yeah, this is the athletic linebacker that they were looking for. They ended up going for Marquise Flowers later on. Maybe they were going to try to pick... Telvin Smith at some point, maybe they were targeting him in the fifth round and he just didn't quite get there. And they went with McCarron instead, although they did say they had a really high grade on McCarron, didn't they? Yes. All right. Let's talk about who you would have picked instead of resident punching bag, Russell Bodine. And we didn't play, use the scenario of them giving up that sixth round pick to move up in the fourth. We just, I just picked where they ended up being in oh. the fourth round with Bodine. That's not uh, how I did it. But okay. Well, that's that's fine. I didn't want to surmise who may have been there and then who would have been there in the six. I just went with who, where they picked. Top guy on my board was EJ Gaines, corner out of Missouri. He ended up going to the Rams, I want to say, in the sixth round. 
Uh, his first two years were really good for the Rams, or at least good enough for a six-round pick. He started for them. He had a fringe first-round grade. He was the next best corner, in my opinion, to Darquez Denard. Denard had a 70.05, I want to, I'm going off memory there. EJ Gaines had a 70.01 grade. So he was neck and neck, and this is a guy I'm getting in the fourth round that I thought was a pretty comparable talent. He has since then played for the Bills uh, for one year, and then the Browns last year, he just re-signed with the Bills in their zone scheme. He can play in the slot. He can play on the outside. The one game you really remember out of him in college at Missouri was against Mike Evans, and he shut Mike Evans down in a big way. And that was what really stuck out to me, his physicality, his aggressiveness, and his ball skills and awareness in zone. I really liked EJ Gaines, and that wouldn't be a bad pick, in my opinion, in the fourth round. No, I think EJ Gaines steps in, and he's your developmental corner he's coming in and he's starting in a year or two and he's serviceable there yeah he gives you what denard probably gave you right if you if you probably. develop him for a year and a half he probably is your nickel corner for the next three years i miss leon hall who would you take instead of aj mccarran in round five in round five the next highest guy is someone that i really wasn't even high on then but i you know round five you ended up you end up resetting your board and looking and saying yeah, I like this guy as a fourth-round pick. He's still there in fifth round. Okay, let's go. And it's Chantrell Henderson, offensive tackle from Miami. And huge, big guy, was athletic on tape. I don't, I don't believe he tested that well. I think he had issues with substance and caring and wanting to play. Uh, he ended up going and playing for the Buffalo Bills early in his career, started a couple years, really hasn't started since then. He's still playing in the league as a backup tackle for the Texans. And I'm, we're talking fifth round here. I don't know if he would have ever developed into anything with the Bengals, but he still is in the NFL, and I guess that's more we can say about you know than a few of these guys they they took this in in the in the in day three in real life. Yep. All right, let's just go right into round six and seven. I won't interrupt you. Is this the best pick then, considering value? In my opinion, it, it it's someone we all got very familiar with over the last couple of weeks. It's Shaq Barrett. Uh, I had a high grade on him because. His agent is a friend of mine, and uh, we I got introduced the first time to Barrett because of that. Well, his former agent, I should say. And then, uh, you know, getting some tape on Barrett, seeing his workout, seeing how teams viewed him, I had a decent grade on him. He was a target of mine in day three. The grade is a 67.41, if you're interested, which is a, a strong mid-round uh, roll of the dice, I would say that is. And... For me, getting Shaq Barrett in the sixth round instead of Marquise Flowers is where I would have went. He's the highest guy on my board, or at least he is the second highest guy on my board, actually, because I didn't want to take a corner again, and we'll talk about that in the next pick with the seventh round. But, I mean, this would have been a home run uh, late-round pick in Shaq Barrett, the same way the, the Broncos ended up getting that. Yeah, the Bengals must have liked him to bring him in for a visit, right? Or maybe yep. it was just from – maybe it was yep. Callahan's exposure to him in the AFC West, but – he would probably still be a Bengal if he was The Bengals had a visit pick. when he was a prospect. So, yeah. Uh, was... Last one was Terrence Mitchell, another corner who graded higher than Barrett to me, but just barely 67-41 versus 67-71. I didn't take Mitchell with the last pick because trying to go three picks without doubling up on positions. He still remained the top guy on my board. He ended up going a few picks after this in the seventh round. He's bounced around a few teams. He's still playing in the league. Never been more of a fourth-type corner. Uh, and there's been a couple years where he's played a, uh, a decent amount of snaps, maybe 40% of the defensive snaps for different teams. And as a seventh-rounder, he's still in the league. I think that's an okay selection. There you go. So recap real quick, Teddy Bridgewater, Terrence Brooks, Talvin Smith, EJ Gaines, Chantrell Henderson, Shaq Barrett, 
and Terrence Mitchell, all still in the league five years later. I feel good about that. And some of those guys would have been surely contributors. Some of them, Shaq Barrett in particular, could still be on the team, still be contributing. Telvin Smith, too. He'd still yeah, be Telvin our Smith, linebacker. For sure. uh, any undrafted free agents that you really liked? Or... You know, I don't. I didn't look at that. I, I probably should have, but uh, I didn't. I see you have one on your list. I, I have one. So I'll go through my list, and this is kind of the pipe dream draft. This is literally, I think, the best you could do at each pick, given who was available on the board, uh, and hindsight, full hindsight on these picks. So in the first round, the considerations are Teddy Bridgewater, Demarcus Lawrence, Derek Carr, Jason Verrett, Joel Batonio, Dion Buchanan, Devontae Adams, and Stephon Tuitt. Those guys, I think, would have all been gone before the Bengals picked in the second round and would have and have gone on to have very good careers. For me, easily the best player of this brunch, I think, given what's happened in their careers, is Demarcus Lawrence. Devontae Adams might yeah. be a close second. Then Joel Batonio, I think. Then Stephon Tuitt. I think that's probably the order for me. But Demarcus Lawrence steps in is probably a day one starter and is still, you know, he's a cornerstone player. And it wouldn't have been crazy. D Ford, I think, went 21st to the Chiefs. Demarcus Lawrence was my next best edge rusher. And for a lot of people, he was. In fact, for a lot of people, they thought this is the last edge rusher in this draft that's really worth anything. And if you watch him at Boise State, he was all long arms, dealt with some injuries the way he did and has so far in his NFL career also. But you can see how much strength he's gained with the Cowboys. And there's no reason to believe that, you know, size-wise, I think a lot of people thought he's a right end. And I even think the Cowboys played him at right end the beginning of his career. But they've allowed him to bulk up beef up get healthier because of it and play more left end and he's just dynamic from that side so demarcus lawrence is my guy in round one he slides in and immediately starts as uh, on opposite side from carlos dunlap maybe you can't keep both right like he's he's i think now the highest paid defensive end in football well, he's not franchise he's did he get extended I, I don't. I don't know because he's been franchised twice in a year, twice in a row. So that wouldn't make him. I just didn't know if he yeah. got extended yet. I know they were talking. I, I don't pay much attention to the Cowboys, to be honest. I do Let's, a lot, actually. <laughs> in the second round, there are quite a few choices here as well. Jimmy Garoppolo, Allen Robinson, wide receiver Jarvis Landry, slot receiver Gabe Jackson, Gabe offensive Jackson. guard. I go with Devontae Freeman here. Because I do think the wow. Bengals could have used a running back in this spot. And the best one, prob- let's see, was there a better running back than, than Devontae Freeman in this draft? I don't think no. so. No, 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 not at all. Not not one that was drafted, at least. Uh, no, not at all. And I think Devontae Freeman definitely became the best. And what's funny about him is he tested really poorly. If you remember Delvin Cook just a couple years ago, same draft the Bengals took Joe Mixon. That was the comparison of, why are these Florida State guys testing so poorly at running mm-hmm. back? And I think that's why Freeman went a little bit later because his tape was really good in the same way Delvin Cooks was. And if Cook would have tested really well, I think he was a first rounder. I think Freeman for sure would have been a second rounder, if not a little bit higher, a high second round, had he have tested well because the tape was really good. He's had a really good NFL career. Uh, I think of the guys you have listed, the guy I would have been highest on would have been Allen Robinson and then probably Gabe Jackson. I didn't love Jarvis Landry mostly because I thought he was just a strictly slot guy. I had a different position, different idea of that position, and I was not high on Jimmy Garoppolo at all. Yeah, and, and Allen Robinson was originally the guy here for me, but when I got into the later rounds and I realized I couldn't take Devontae Freeman in the third round because I wanted to take two guys that I could have gotten in the third or fourth round, I mm-hmm. had to bump Devontae Freeman up to the second round, and I justify it by saying they took a running back there, and instead of the running back they took, they get a better one who 
can also play in the passing game. And I don't know. I think it works out, right? And, and I think this is why. Because in the third round, go ahead. Did you want to throw something? I was in? just going to say that I remember making the argument after that they should have got a receiver. This yeah. ended up being a historic receiver class, especially the rookie years. And I think it still is in terms of uh, the, the first the few rounds. Too. Yeah, it was insane. And you, I think Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, Odo Beckham Jr. right at the top. And yeah. Alan Robinson in the second round. Jarvis Landry, too. So it's been really, really productive. Yeah. It's been super productive. And had they have taken one at that spot, because there was a few times where you're going to get in a receiver as best player available, uh, had they have taken one, it probably would have lessened the impact they really felt losing Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu and probably made that decision-making a little bit easier. Yeah, and so maybe maybe you say this is Allen Robinson. One of the reasons I didn't go there is because they did still have Jones and Sanu on the roster. And yep. with the draft going well, maybe they can keep one of those guys and – Actually, pony up the dough. Let's get to the third round here. The third round, the guys that went between the Bengals' third and fourth round picks weren't terribly impressive for me. The guys that went between the Bengals' fourth and fifth round picks is really where I'm looking for the next crop. But between the third and fourth round, the names that stood out to me were Trey Turner, Trey Turner, John Brown, Dante Moncrief, Jarek McKinnon, and Devontae Freeman. And so I moved Devontae Freeman up because the next group of guys are the ones that I want to target. The round four options... Kelvin Smith, Martavis Bryant, Pierre Desir, James yeah. White, Trey Boston, Aaron Colvin, Cameron Fleming, and Ricardo Allen. So quite a few positions there. Telvin Smith, obviously, we talked about in Joe's version of the redraft. I bumped Pierre Desir up to the third round. He's, I think, the most productive corner from this point on in the draft, a little bit better than yep. EJ Gaines. He's been more consistent. So Pierre Desir is the guy for me in the third. We're talking about Shaq Barrett. Shout out to Pierre Desir also. Same agent, Greg Linton, and uh, also was the guy in my radar because of it. Ended up getting drafted much later, who honestly he's had a great career and, and definitely salvaged his career uh, as the as he's grown in, in the last couple of years. But for me, and shout out to Ryan Coyle because – I remember during this pick, and I was in Key West while they were while they're doing this draft, and I was kind of paying attention. I, I lost some of my focus after the first two rounds, uh, but I was still obviously watching and, and paying attention. But I was talking to Ryan during this, and we were both like Trey Turner, Trey Turner, Trey Turner. You still you plug him in at guard, he's going to be dynamite. You figure out who plays center between Zeitler and Bowling, and you're going to have a great interior. And Trey Turner was the guy we wanted badly. And when it was Will Clark, it was a shot to the chest. And then to watch the Panthers take Turner, rebuild that offensive line very quickly. If you remember, they take Daryl Williams the next year, I want to say. And they go to the Super Bowl off a really revamped offensive line very shortly. And for a while, we looked at that Trey Turner pick and just said, geez, what could have been? What could have been? And especially when you look at them taking Bodine in the next round, like that had to be yeah, real. Exactly. So in the fourth round, the options remaining that I'm considering strongly are Telvin Smith, Trey Boston, Ricardo Allen, out of all those names I mentioned. And I really wanted to pick Telvin Smith here, but since Burfick still had some good years ahead of him, looking in the hindsight way of way of life, I went Ricardo Allen, who's been a very good starting safety and can kind of play all over the field, and he's been very good in Atlanta. And that's fine. I got no problem with Ricardo Allen. I just, for me personally, I think Telvin Smith is the man, and obviously I, I drafted him and had a high grade on him before. So for, I'm not going to argue you. I'm just going to say, fine, for sake of being different, Ricardo Allen has a fine pick. I, I had to talk myself out of Telvin Smith a little bit. He did I'm have sure a bit did. of a down year in 2018. They but, all did. 
Yeah, I, I mean the athleticism there, the the rare traits that he has at the linebacker position makes a lot of sense. In the fifth round, it gets a little bit easier. The options, Agent McCarron is still an option, incidentally, but the options at this point start to include some undrafted free agents. Um, other notable names, Andrew Norwell, Malcolm Butler, who is an undrafted free agent, EJ, Grains, La, EJ Gaines, Laurent Devarney Tardif, yep. and Matt Paradis. Dr. Duvernay Tardif. He just got that last offseason. Oh, he wanted it on the back of his jersey, and they want to give it to him. That seems unfair. Yeah, but Matt Paradis is who you go with. He just got a big deal, or at least a good enough deal, um, for the from the Panthers. Again, there's offensive line rebuilding for you. And there's and, your center. Yeah, there's your center, and it, that's what it should have been, right? Uh, so hindsight, I love this pick. I think this is your greatest argument, especially because fifth round, they just took a center. There's a better center. Yeah, this is this is the one for me. Uh, yeah, that w- that was a pretty easy one in in the fifth round. In the sixth round, they I, I picked at their compensatory pick slot. So at this point, I'm really looking essentially only at undrafted free agents, and I'm taking a guy that's been a starting right starting left tackle. Sorry for the Bears, I believe. Yeah. For since he since he came into the league as as a, I don't remember if Charles Leno was a late round pick or an undrafted free agent, but Charles Leno has been. A an above average left tackle in the NFL for four or five years now. And imagine going back to back, Matt Paradis and then Charles Leno. Those are two starters on the offensive line that have been at least average to above average. And Paradis has been really good. But point being that those would be two starters in a time of transition where very over the horizon. We didn't know this yet, but the horizon was very coming where this offensive line was going to be dismantled. You could also say that Alejandro Villanueva would have been sure. uh, they're they're very very similar in terms of of quality of player. Villanueva's I see you just, have listed Kerry Wynn. I knew you loved him. Yeah, I listed him <laughs> because he's on the Bengals now. Uh, in the seventh round, I come back and I take a couple defensive linemen. Denver Shelby Harris, who is I think mostly a nose tackle, but has been somewhat productive as a pass rusher as well. He would probably take snaps away from Demata Pecco pretty quickly and would certainly fill that void. Uh, right away I think when we do when we get around to redrafting uh, 2017 or 2016 or whenever um, why am I blanking on his name who's the Bengals nose tackle right now Andrew Billings was drafted you probably still take Andrew Billings in the fourth round yeah but Shelby Harris has been a very good role player in Denver and then also in the seventh round Shaquille Barrett to round out the edge rushers he's coming in and He's your rotational guy. Maybe you kick to Marcus Lawrence inside. Maybe you kick Carlos Dunlap inside. That's right. Yep. And then there's your nickel rushers. The undrafted free agents, I've talked about a lot of them. There were a lot of late-round guys and undrafted free agents that went on to do big things this year. Trey Burton was an undrafted free agent. Roosevelt Nix was an undrafted free agent. Villanueva was an undrafted free agent. Cameron Brait was an undrafted free agent. Isaiah Crowell, though, originally when I didn't have Devontae Freeman picked in the second round, I would have said, let me go get Isaiah Crowell. That's right. So you should have went Allen Robinson and then come back again. I think to maximize this entire draft, Crowell was a surprise undrafted guy, actually. I remember that uh, he was decent in college, and a lot of people thought he was a mid-round pick and a a powerful guy. He's made a career for himself. So it had been funny if he would have gone in the third-round range. Because I think it was comparable to Jeremy Hill, to be honest with you. And had he have gone in that range, it would have been a disappointing pick. But as an undrafted guy, he's had a great career. Yeah, he's a guy that with Geo, like that would be a pretty good split for your backfield. Yeah, because then he wouldn't have gotten so many of the 
you know, he like Hill, once he came in and 2014 was a fun year in a different way because remember everyone got hurt from Eifert to Marvin Jones to uh, A.J. Green and Giovanni Bernard. They really had to reform that offense, and they did it behind Jeremy Hill. And he had a fantastic rookie year behind a power-running scheme, and they weren't rotating in in Geo because they didn't have him for the handful of games, and they really found a way to get this team back on track and into the playoffs. Really masterful job by uh, – Hugh Jackson that that season and during the season but as we saw as they got everyone back it didn't fit Jeremy Hill anymore that shotgun spread offense what they really became and what they really were strongest and best at what they should have done wasn't the fit for Hill and that's it's really why him and Gio was a weird pairing for a while yeah I mean it could have worked though right like power back scat back that's something the Saints have pulled off I mean but given they run Mark power Andrew- you, I would say the same about the Patriots. They run power better than anybody, but they run power out of shotgun better than anybody too. And Hill just couldn't do it without a lead back, man, or a fullback in front of him. He, yeah. That's where undrafted was uh, this was Ryan Hewitt this this year, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, I believe he was. And having Hewitt in front of Hill was so big, and and his, the difference between him behind a fullback and in the eye formation, and when the and and uh, when the quarterback wasn't under center or when he was in shotgun was huge splits in Jeremy Hill's statistical production. So that I think would round out my version of a close to idea. Let's say it's Allen Robinson instead of Devonte Freeman. I think you've talked me into that one. I think you can get better value than a running back in a second. Almost always. Yeah. Especially if you consider Geo and say you knew what Rex Burkhead was, we're in a hindsight mode anyway. So yeah. you knew Rex Burkhead ultimately ends up, you know, being a little bit bulkier, being 215, being a little bit stronger than we expected, a little bit quicker than we expected. Honestly, he was better than I expected to. Uh, had we have known that, he may have been very similar to Freeman, to be honest with you. I think that highly of Burkhead, besides his injury history, him and Gio would have made a great pairing. In the right and then you offense. bring in Crowell as a big guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. So then your your offensive depth chart. I did this just for fun. Your, your depth chart, if you go this ideal draft route, is Dalton still your quarterback. Your running back is Gio, Isaiah Kroll, Rex Burkhead. Cedric Pierman's on the roster, too. That's right. Your wide receivers are still A.J. Green, Jones, and Mohamed Sanu, but then you have Allen Robinson to throw into the mix because we switched Ooh. that from Devontae Freeman. That's right. Your tight ends are still Jermaine Gresham and Tyler Eifert, but you have Eifert, and at this point, he's not hurt yet. So That's right. <laughs> uh your offensive tackles, Andrew Whitworth, Andre Smith are your starters with Charles Leno and Marshall Newhouse was the backup tackle on the roster at that point in time. So maybe Newhouse doesn't stick around or maybe they just carry both tackles. But Charles Leno will take over one of your tackle spots in 2015, ideally right tackle because ideally and uh, well, Whitworth the, is still around. The, the key here, though, is that has a ripple effect on the 2015 draft right, where exactly. now they're not forced to take Oboihe and they're definitely not forced to go back to back tackle. Exactly. A guard, you still have the same guards, Clint Bowling, Kevin Zeitler, and David, not David Pollock, uh, Mike Pollock. Mike, yes. And your center is Matt Paradis, and he's going to be your center, and he's still probably your center. Yeah. On the defensive side of the ball, it's Carlos Dunlap, Demarcus Lawrence, Shaquille Barrett, and uh, Gilberry, instead of, like, yeah, Wallace Gilberry, instead of Dunlap, Wallace Gilberry, Robert Gathers, and Will Clark. Will Clark, right? And Marcus Hunt. Yeah, Hunt was, yep. Hunt was on the team. 
Jesus. <laughs> so you have those top three instead of what it was, and that's looking a lot different. At defensive yeah. tackle, uh, we didn't really change this position too much. I think that Atkins, Pecco are still probably the quote-unquote starters. Devin still is still on the team. We didn't know what he was yet. Brandon Thompson's still on the team. Right. And then Shelby Harris eventually takes over those snaps and becomes the Demata Pecco replacement. That's right. Linebackers remain unchanged in this version of the draft. We'll deal with it next year is kind of the approach we're taking here. Cornerbacks are Pac-Man, Leon Hall, Drake Kirkpatrick, Terrence Newman, and then Pierre Desir is going to step into one of those spots sometime this rookie season, most likely. If not, in year two, becomes a starter. Safeties are Reggie Nelson and Ricardo Allen, and George Iloka never really sees the field after that for the Bengals. So that would be a downside, but Ricardo Allen, I think, is a better player. Yeah, and you can do the same with my draft. Obviously, uh, Teddy would be behind Dalton, Terrence Brooks, and Iloka would probably battle for that spot. Probably what we know, in hindsight, it will probably be Iloka winning that job. I think Telvin Smith jumps right in and, and replaces Lemur as a nickel linebacker and starter, so it would be perfect in Lemur starting. Uh, EJ Gaines probably jumps in, backs up Leon Hall, and the nickels roll uh, is a backup for them for a year until he probably starts to, you know, round out a little bit of playing time. Sean Child Henderson, Henderson's just a backup swing tackle, probably the fourth guy in year one, but also may lessen their need to take Jake Fisher in the second round in year two. Shaq Barrett, we talked about that. I got the same pick there. And then Terrence Mitchell rounds out the back half of the corners. So there's a redraft. It I could have it. been amazing, but anytime you do a redraft, it can be. You can cherry pick, right? And that's that's what I got to do. I got to sit here and say, who would be the best players to get? Who are the pro bowlers from? Who are the undrafted pro bowlers? Who are the seven, six round pro bowlers? And which of them can I draft? Yeah. That's always show, fun though. I like that. It goes to show you that you can find these guys in any round. It's just very, very hard because out of all the picks, you know, they're, the later you get, the fewer there are. And in this yeah. particular year, there's, you know, two tackles that turn out to be top, you know, half, yeah. top half of the NFL tackles in Charles Leno and Alejandro Villanueva, and they both went late. Shaq yeah. Barrett there as an edge rusher. He went late. Uh, Matt Paradis went in the sixth round. So there, Andrew there are, Norwell is a top Andrew player. Norwell, yeah. So there are all these guys that, that you know, are, are there, but no team is getting more than one of them in most cases, and the Bengals have had their share of success in the late rounds too. And you can say George Iloka, Marvin Jones are your most recent uh, examples, right? Yep. Who am I forgetting? And undrafted. CJ Uzama. Yeah, fifth rounder. You're right. Yeah. So that was fun. We'll do 2015 soon. And when you're done listening to this, I just want to know who you remember from 2014, that draft class, as someone you really wanted. Even if they didn't work out, it's it's a fun exercise to uh, look back on and, and try and maybe see where you went wrong or where maybe you nailed a pick and the Bengals should have went your route. So get, let us know uh, probably on Twitter would be the best place, and maybe we'll read your comments off to, on tomorrow's show too. But we also have to say you got to try out the Himalaya app for all your podcasts. And it's dedicated to podcasts. It'll be, be the one of the best, if not the best, way for you to get your daily Bengals lockdown Bengals podcast. Also, remember to smell your tell your smart device. Don't smell your smart device. <laughs> tell it to listen to the lockdown Bengals podcast. Well, thanks for joining us, Bengals fans, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this lockdown podcast ad. 
free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.